Hey, Pastor John Aiken here. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Faith Center podcast. We hope today's teaching will awaken and equip you to live out your God-given purpose. Enjoy. Bible um, to Galatians chapter 3. We've been talking about spiritual gifts, uh, and we've taken the, this last week and this week to stop. We've talked about the gifts of the Father, the gifts of the Son, and, and gifts of the Holy Spirit we'll be getting into and unpacking all that. But last week and this week, we're going to focus in about what is the Father's heart towards women. I really sense the Lord wanted on Father's Day to, to start uh, just a two-part thing. Where there's, I, I could make it a lot more, but just to hit some of the basics um, about what is our Father's heart towards women. And so I want to start in Galatians chapter 3. Many of you know this verse, but I want to read this as we jump uh, into part 2 of this. So Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 26. Galatians 3, starting in verse 26. Uh, when, you, when you got it, say got it. For you are all sons of God, through faith in Christ Jesus. He's not just talking to the boys. He's talking to the girls too. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. This, the whole chapter is amazing, but this, this is really crucial. This is very, really key because the kingdom is always penetrating cultural limitations. The kingdom is always piercing traditions of men. You see it with Jew and Gentile. You see where, 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 uh, you know, God had to, had, had to bring uh, a, a vision down on a sheet of uh, and had to, had, had to speak to Peter because the mindset, the traditional mindset, was that Jews did not fellowship or talk with or r- relate with other Gentiles, but that was never God's intention. And so there's things that misinterpretations, cultural, traditional, religious interpretations of Scripture that get just a quarter inch off, and then God has to come through His Spirit or, or, or through somebody that He sends, and He has to break that tradition. He has to break that. Not all traditions are bad. Not all cultural things are bad. But many times you see where the kingdom of God is radically coming to undo a cultural limitation that has been set a basket over a light that has been that is making what God means to be bright, it's making it darker. Or what God means to expand, it's, it's, making, it's, it's bringing a, a block to it and a limit to it. We limit God. And we do that all the time. Uh, generations have done that. And sometimes what one generation limits, God will raise up, God will raise up a person to be a, a chain breaker and a wall breaker and a prophetic pioneer to break down that wall that a previous generation built. We should be building foundations. We don't need to be building walls. And so you see this when it comes to women. And so in the scripture, he says we're all sons of God uh, through faith. In Christ Jesus. And actually, I want to keep reading down to verse 29. I want you to look at verse 29. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs. Everybody say heir. Heir. 
heirs according to the promise. So what he's speaking here is there is no cultural or classism or nationality. There is no gender limitation to making you an heir of God. That you are Abraham's seed. And so the culture in Bible days would limit, would limit women, would limit uh, Gentiles, would limit you know, uh, different people. So what Paul is saying is, in the fullness of the new covenant and the release of grace and truth found in Jesus Christ, there is no limit. He actually says you are all one in Christ. And that one means one in the same. If you look up that word one, you are all one in Christ. You are one in the same, meaning positionally before God, you stand one in the same. So you may be a woman, but you are a son. Because in, in the Old Testament time frame and even in the New Testament time frame, a woman would not be an heir. A woman would not be an heir. And in in Jewish culture, in Roman culture, in Greek culture, they belittled women. They looked down upon women. They don't have time to chase the rabbits of all the, the sayings of the rabbis and of the scholars and of the philosophers and what they would say about women, but their culture uh, looked down upon women. And so God is always, the heart of the Father is always, with the king's heart is always penetrating the injustice in the culture with the divine justice of God. He does not use a cultural justice over here to hit a cultural justice or injustice here. God is not operating this way with an injustice to a justice or a justice to an injustice. He is taking the divine justice of the word that's already established in heaven and he is penetrating it down to the earth. The problem is we get caught up in society. This is almost a whole nother sermon. I can feel it. This is almost a whole nother sermon. Y'all better pray for me. We're battling this way with justice or injustice culturally. Which culture is going to win? The king's culture should win. The king's culture. Because he's before, before. He's after, after. The king's culture wins. And so what he's doing is he's reminding us here that you are all sons. This was radical in that day. This was radical in that day. Because if you read the rest of the chapter, it talks about, you know, being an heir and being adopted. Meaning you're brought into full rank and order as a son of, as a son of God. And in the Father's house, having the authority and the dignity and, and all the stuff to operate as a joint heir with, with the boys, so to speak. And so Paul is saying, you are all in rank and order. Now, when it comes to women in ministry and women in leadership, there's lots of arguments, lots of debate. And my heart for you is I can't go through everything I want to go through right now. Last week we talked about uh, different things and how you saw three times where, where Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 told uh, in, in talking about keeping order in the church when the gifts of the Spirit are operating, that there must be order, there must be wisdom in that, uh, decency and everything be done in order. And so he says three different times to three groups of people, keep silent. Those who are, those who are uh, prophesying and speaking out, he, he, he tells them if they're doing it out of order, you need to keep silent. And he speaks to anyone. We talked about that last week. Those who are interpreting the prophecy, you need to make sure as you interpret there's order. There's order. And he tells them to keep silent, which means hold your peace when it's not your turn. 
That's what he's talking about. He's setting order. He's not silencing prophets. He's not silencing interpreters. What he's saying is let there be order. And then he says, let your women, let let women, which can be the word wife, the word for woman and the word for wife is the same word. And we talked about that that last week. And so there's, there's groups of people that believe different things. And on this subject of what's the role of women, there's extremes on either side. There's, say, women just can just be radical, and, and, and there's, there's, there's things that are sloppy and choppy on both extremes. Both extremes. And, and then there's this truth in the middle ground where there's some discussion about stuff, and there's debate about it. In some of these scriptures, there's lots of debate about it by people who love the Lord. People who love the Lord and, and are walking this out. And so my heart is to kind of share with you, here's how I interpret scripture. And I used to be a person that was like, and, and I never would say it to a woman because I wouldn't be that bold. But women need to keep silent. That's how I used to think. Like, no, you can't be in positions of leadership. You can't be whatever. But it's funny, any church I've ever been a part of that believed that or said that at home, you know where the husband was getting their wisdom from? And then they show up in the meeting. I've got, I've got to tell you something, guys. I've got, I've got to tell you. And you know they're just echoing what, what his wife said. Because the last meeting, he was clueless. <laughs> Suddenly, he's educated. You know? And so, and I walked through all the different scriptures last week. And here's how I look at it. This is how I look at it. I think there's well-meaning people who are trying to, to rightly divide the word of truth and defend the gospel. But I do not believe Paul in some of the different scriptures and what we're going to read today, what we read last week and read today, where it says women keep silent. I do not believe, I do not believe that for all people, for all places, for all time, that he is silencing and limiting the role of, of women. I think he is adjusting it, correcting it so they can actually minister more and make it more effective. And some of you, that's hard for you to hear because you've been taught all your Christian life women can't, be, women can't be in ministry. So I'm not doing this from a cultural perspective, like some progressive political thing of coming in and trying to say, no, this is women's rights and women's lib. And I'm not coming from that perspective because I honestly, that's not my priority. My priority is Scripture, is rightly dividing the word of truth. See, our job, our, what God gave us as a vision here is to awaken and equip for purpose. And that includes women. Because they are heirs. And if you're a seed of Abraham, if you're a seed of Abraham, in my opinion, now some would say, well, it's just positional. It's not about ministry. It's not about leadership. They can't be elders. We'll look at that in a second. But if you're a seed of Abraham, you, are, you can be in full rank and order in the body of Christ. And I kind of look at it this way. People who, they mean well. But they unknowingly, they, 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 they don't realize ultimately what they're doing. But, but it's like the body of Christ. It's one hand behind their back and on one foot. you got half the body of Christ that can't be activated. Half the body of Christ that cannot be fully awakened. Half the body of Christ that cannot walk in the anointing that Christ has already given them. Half the body of Christ is told no when Jesus said yes. Half the body of Christ is trying to minister. What would happen if we released the whole body? What would happen if we release the whole body and be scriptural as we do it? That's the heartbeat of this pastor. That's the heartbeat of this house. I realize some of you that is difficult for you to hear. And what I'm asking you to do is go a little further. 
Because I'm not even talking about like fruit. I'm not, Jesus said, you'll know them, Matthew 7, he said, you'll know them by their fruit. So I'm not even talking about the women in history that God has used to, to, to reach nations, to disciple nations, plant churches, signs, wonders, miracles, do all kinds of stuff. I'm not even talking about them. And the fruit in their life that when you go and you, you watch a, a, a woman who's anointed by God, cast out demons, teach men, lead churches, you know, do all this. When you, you not only hear about it, but when you see it and you see the fruit and you're like, that's Jesus. That's the anointing. That's the anointing of Christ. Just like, just like, um, Peter and them were, were talking about when the, when the Holy Spirit came to the Gentiles, that their answer was this. Who were we? Who were we to deny, you know, this blessing of the Lord when they received the Holy Spirit just as we did? So I'm not even talking about the fruit aspect. I'm trying to just look at Scripture. It'd be, ser- it'd be a, a long series about the women that God has used with the anointing of Christ to plant churches, to do all kinds of stuff. Not even talking about that. I don't know why I keep talking about it when I say I'm not talking about it. But I'm not talking about it. So let's look in um, let's look in um, 2 Timothy or 1 Timothy. Let's go over to 1 Timothy. Let's just dive into this thing. Lord Jesus, help. I'm telling you, I'm so thankful we are all sons. We are all sons. So our cultural position, our classism, uh, the, the gender, it, 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 we're all one. We're all one in the same. Oh, I can't, I, see, I'm just thinking about stuff. I'm like, man, I want to turn my Bible to Acts chapter 2. Um, and uh, I think Jeff said something about Acts chapter 2 in the pre-service and made me start thinking about it. He said, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And people think, well, you know, we talked about last week, prayer and prophecy. Prophecy was a, was a, was a, a high-ranking thing. Like they, it, it was like it wasn't for women to pray and prophesy, and Paul declared that was huge, huge in that culture, huge in that culture. Let's just, let's just look at this. Okay, 1 Timothy chapter 2. All right, when you got to say got it. Starting in verse 1. We're just going to read through it. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for, be made for all men, meaning all mankind, not just men. Mankind is what that word is. For kings um, and all who are in authority, that we may lead quiet. Everybody say quiet. That word's going to come back up. Quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men, all mankind, to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So, so far he's talking about all mankind, but some of y'all just saw man. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, uh, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, and I'm speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire, therefore, that men... Now, this is the word for man, like, like a male, that men... Pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And why does he say that about men? Because they doubt and they get angry. Verse 9, in like manner, 
in like manner. So I have this in your notes. There's no blanks today. It's all just notes. So hopefully I'm helping you become a Bible teacher and look at this stuff and review it over and over. So that phrase in like manner means in the same way or likewise. So what it's doing is connecting everything he's about to say with what he just said. So he's basically saying the same thing is true that was true for the man is also true for the woman. And now he's adding some more elements that's true for the woman that won't necessarily be true for the man. So in like manner, it's a connection verse. It's a, it's a connection phrase. So I want you to see that. It's a connection phrase. So uh, in like manner, also the women, this is talking about uh, a female, adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety, which, by the way, that word is self-control. He wants a woman to have self-control and moderation with braided hair, uh, uh, with not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. So he's already saying there needs to be godliness plus good works. We're all created in Christ for good works. So but let me just say this before I go further that this whole letter is he's writing against deception. He's writing against deception that has crept into the church. There's a temple in Ephesus. There's a temple of the goddess Diana with all her, all, all the, the, the priests and, and prophets of this ungodly fertility goddess, um, goddess Diana. Uh, they were all women who led it very dominating, controlling, seductive, manip manipulative women, and they were very influential in the city of Ephesus. So some of that stuff was creeping in the church, and Paul is writing uh, to, the, to Timothy, this young pastor, to bring order, just like he was writing in 1 Corinthians 14. To bring order. He was not silencing or shutting down women. He was, he was like, you're a quarter inch off and readjusting it to release ministry. He was not shutting down ministry. He was, okay. So verse 11, let a woman, and notice it's a woman, not women, not women altogether, but a woman. And that word for woman is also the word wife. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, but to be in silence. That word man there is the word for husband also. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into, fell into transgression. So let me just say this. He is not saying the woman's sin was worse because we all know scripturally, anybody who knows half a two cents about your Bible knows that disobeying is worse than being deceived. So Adam had the greater sin. There's no question about that. What he's referencing this to and the reason he brings up deception is because there is deception that's creeping into the church. And he's like, watch out for deception. Just like the woman was deceived. See, deceived, decept, being deceived can lead to disobedience, but the man had the greater sin. He's not saying you got to watch out for them, their woman. Because they did that, they did put us in this whole mess. No, it was the man. You read Romans chapter 5, it was through one man sin came. So you have to understand he's, he's coming against deception, speaking to this holistically. Um, and, and let me just keep reading, then I'll get to the notes. 
Verse 14 again. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness, and self-control. Now, some of you read that and say, yep, barefoot and pregnant. That's how they need to be. Well, so if he's saying, if he's saying, oh, I'm just going to go. I'm just going to go. I'm going to come back to it. I'm going to come back to it. I'm going to come back to it. I got it in your notes. I wrote notes. Pastor John, remember your notes. I'm, I'm going to stop right there for, for, for this. So look at your notes. First Timothy 2. Look at your notes. I already talked about the like manner. The word silence there. The word silence that's used about uh, let, let a woman learn with silence. That word silence is the same word that was used in verse 2 where it said quiet. It's the, it's the same root word. And it just means peaceable. It means a God-produced peace, tranquility, calmness that supports appropriate action. This term does not mean speechlessness. It does not mean that. It actually means authority and power under control. Under submission. He's not trying to silence women He's trying to strengthen their voice with stability through self-control in, 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 in context. Just like he's not silencing the prophet, he's not silencing the interpreter or those who would give interpretation. So, so that's what this word means. It means to not, or it speaks to not stirring things up like not being the aggressor and not being uh, someone who causes distractions and all that kind of stuff. That's what that word means. And then verse 2, you see, we lead a, a quiet and peaceable life. It's that same root word. Verse 11, let a woman, that word woman, is, it can be also translated wife, same word, learn in silence with all submission. See, that phrase, learn in silence, if you look at your notes, this is a radical phrase. Learn in silence, he's, he, what he's doing is saying a woman should learn. In that culture, that was not a thing. So what he's saying, a woman should learn. A woman should sit at the feet of a disciple, of a rabbi, to become a disciple. He's saying a woman should learn. A woman should learn. Why would a woman need to learn? Why does a disciple need to learn? Great commission. What's the great commission? Be a disciple and make other disciples. So that's, that's the goal, that's the heartbeat. And so we read it from an Americanized thing with, with already a set of lenses of let them women keep silent. And so what we end up thinking is, is something that the Scripture is not saying. He's not saying that. He's talking about order. He's talking about um, uh, this, this, this submission, but learning in, in a place of peace, learning in a place where you know where to ask the questions. Learning in a place where you're not being like the, the, in that culture in Ephesus, you're not being like these, these dominant, domineering women from the, the, from the temple who are trying to take authority over men. You're not, you're not being one of those, one of those women. If you look on the next page of your backside of your notes, uh, he says, I do not permit a woman, verse 12, I do not permit a woman or wife to teach or to have authority over man, but be in silence. That just talks about that peace again. And then that phrase, to have authority over. That phrase, to have authority over. 
Some translations means to assume or to, uh, to take authority. Is it, it, it speaks to one who is autocratic, self-appointed, who forcefully overrules without submission. They dominate and they usurp authority. So he's talking about a woman. Uh, now, I know you don't know any domineering women. You, know, you don't know any controlling women. Husbands, be careful. But the, the reality is, it's, it's, he's trying to bring order. He's trying to bring order. And Jack Hayford was the first person I ever saw point out, for me, point out the A woman and A man. He's not talking about women and men. He's talking about a husband and a wife. And there's other teachings that say he could be talking about that and talking about deceptive women who were causing deceit and deception and trying to silence them without naming them by name. I, there's, a, there's about three different ways of interpreting this other than the traditional way of women just keep silent, they can't be in leadership. And I'm just showing you what I think is probably the, the, the clearest. And so you look at the word in verse 15. When it says, nevertheless, she shall be saved, you know, through childbirth. That nevertheless is a, that phrasing is a transition to something new. So he's transitioning to something new and he goes to two things. The two things he goes to is a phrase about the childbearing. And we all know, I mean, just using biblical common sense, he's not saying that the woman will be saved if she has babies. Some of us need to be saved from our babies. The phrasing that he's using is speaking back to Genesis in the same way he was saying the woman was deceived by the serpent. And he's speaking about deception in the whole letter. And so he goes back and the phrase literally in the Greek says the child bearing. He's referencing the woman's role in being redeemed to bring forth the Christ. Because if it's not that, if it's not that, and it's women are saved if they have babies, and that's how you're saved, what about the women who are single? What about the women who can't have children? Guess they're not going to be saved. So that doesn't hold any water whatsoever about the woman's role is just barefoot and pregnant. He's saying about the childbirth, the promise of Christ. That's what he's talking about. And then he talks about continuing with self-control. If they continue with self-control, which is the same thing he said in verse 9 about women walking in self-control because he's trying to bring order in a culture that's disorderly of, to not let the domineering elements of that culture corrupt the church. We have to be careful of that in the United States. And some of it is not domineering culture that disrupts us in the United States. It's a comfort culture. It's a Babylon culture. It's a confusion by comfort that has corrupted the church in the United States. But we can't have the culture invading the church. We can never be a church that follows a culture that's not following Christ. We should be leading. And this is what Paul is talking about, trying to release ministry. And then let's look in chapter 3 real quick. This is a faithful saying, if a man, and by the way, that's mankind. Oops. If anyone, that's what he's saying, if anyone. So he's talking about men, women, husbands, wives. And now he's saying about leadership, if anyone. 
But because you're a said man, you always thought it was male-dominated. Now, there is a reference, no question, about husbands here. Let's just read it. If This is a faithful saying. If anyone desires the position of bishop, and bishop, overseer, pastor, elder, it's all, all the same person. And, and the, see that word he there? That's not in the original Greek. It's all gender neutral. Every he, his, and there in the next few scriptures are all gender neutral. But because it says he in your English trans- translation, you think he's talking only about a man. He desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless. Now here is the male reference. The husband of one wife. And that doesn't mean you're only married once. Jack Hayford, again, was the first person that broke this down in the Greek to me, and I've heard many people do it since. You're a one-woman man. You're not married to multiple people at the same time. You think, well, that's not an issue. Well, first of all, who in the world would do that? Back in the day, they did that. And that's not, that's, I, I got that from Jack Hayford or a number of other people who would say the same thing. So, A bishop must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, uh, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, uh, quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules, uh, and, and this is gender neutral, so one who rules their own house well having their children in submission with all reverence. Verse 5, for if anyone, not a man, if anyone does not know how to rule their own house, how will he take care, how will they take care of the house of God? Not a novice, not being puffed up with pride. Again, all this is, it's, it's they and their in this. He, he's speaking to anyone. Fall into the same condemnation as the devil, Moreover, they or there um, must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest they fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Now watch this. Likewise, so it's connecting it. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of faith with a pure conscience. But let those, who fir- let those first be tested... And then let them serve as deacons being found blameless. Now watch this. Likewise. Again, that connection. Likewise. Women. Now your says, likewise, their wives. And there's legitimate ways to look at that to say he might be talking about wives. The wives of the deacons. That's how we would look at it culturally. But we can't just say how would we look at it culturally. We need to look at to rightly divide the word of truth. We need to think how would they look at it culturally. And there's enough evidence to say at least with a reasonable doubt that Paul is saying here women not wives. Just like he was in other places was saying wives not women. There's debate about that. And I don't, you can land on whichever one you want, but what you can't do is say there is no debate about it. Because there's evidence here pointing very clearly that this could be talking about women, that women, likewise, women must be reverent, not slanders, uh, uh, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons, and now it goes to the male thing, so we have two male references that are crystal clear here about husbands of one wife ruling their children and their own households well. Verse 13, for those, which means anyone, who have served well as deacon obtains favor 
in themselves and a good standing, a good standing and great boldness in faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So here's my point. There's so much to go through. This is a lot of stuff to go through. It's a lot of stuff to walk through. I mean, you could you could go down rabbit holes. You can go on the internet, go go look up stuff, and you can just and you'll find every kind of interpretation. I mean, a ton of different interpretations. I just want to clarify that I do not believe Paul is saying, and I agree with Jack Hayford. I agree with Robert Morris from Gateway Church. I agree with uh, Dale Yurton and Rick Clendenin, and a number of other people around the world. That I do not believe Paul is limiting the role of women. I told you last week about Junia, talked about Phoebe, talked about Romans 16, other pastors that met in their house, and there's debate about some of that stuff. There's some, some debate about those different things. And some, some churches land, they, they, they come to different levels. Some say women can't do anything. And, and, and then some say, well, they can teach youth. Well, you know, that's just an interpretation because if it says a woman not to have authority over a man, and that's what you really believe, then they shouldn't be teaching youth. No, but you say it's okay because we use our reason. Well, you can't use reason if you're trying to rightly divide the word of truth. And so my point is, is some churches will say women can minister and they can teach, but they cannot, they cannot hold the office of pastor, elder, or, or leader, like senior pastor. Some, some hold, hold to that model. And I'm just telling you, I believe women can be in ministry if they are anointed and appointed and assigned by God. Like the, 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 end, the end of your note, 2 Timothy 2.2, one of my favorite scriptures. You, you see it right there on the, the end of your notes. And these things which you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men. I've heard preachers teach that and say, see, we only need to commit it to men. That word for ma- men is mankind. I believe the enemy, see, people like me get accused of not rightly dividing the word of truth and opening the door to deception through letting women do stuff. Oh, my goodness, women are going to teach us. Think of all the stuff you've learned from women. I do not think Paul is, is stating a case and making a, a, a rule or a limit for all women of all places of all time that they cannot be in ministry. I don't think he's doing that. I don't think the scriptures teach that. And I think there are well-meaning people who, who take that on and think, yeah, see, there's unique roles. The man is the leader of the house in that partnership that I talked about. And women are nurturing and they take care of the kids better than some of us guys. Just because there's unique roles does not mean he's limiting the anointing through these women. There are unique roles that function, but he's not limiting them. Worship team, come up, so give, give me at least a hope of ending. This is, this is crucial for me. This is powerful for me. And I realize some of you may not agree, and what I ask you to do is just go a little further. Go a little further. One of the perfect examples, flesh and blood examples of this, is what we're about to do. So Cheryl Yates, if you'd come on up on the platform, please. Matter of fact, I'm going to do something. Come on up on the platform, please. We are about to ordain Cheryl Yates as our worship pastor.
we jokingly say Cheryl's more saved than Jesus. <laughs> and I feel like I have something for you. And what we're going to do, I'm going to share a few things. I'm going to let Cheryl's sister come share a few things. She's a minister herself. And let her share. Uh, Cheryl has warned me, once I give the microphone to her sister, none of us are in control anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and so... Uh, Many of you know Cheryl, you love Cheryl, and in this ramp season, God has been doing some really cool stuff. He's brought Jeff and Lori to us. There's some other people that we'll be announcing uh, in the near future, but watching Cheryl, her walk has been impeccable. She's been faithful. She's been true. Nobody would ever question your faithfulness, um, and I consider it an honor to be the pastor in the church to ordain you in ministry, and I was praying. I was saying, Lord, what word would you have for her, and what I thought was this. Luke 1, I believe it's verse 80, speaking of John the Baptist. It talked about the days of his manifestation. You've been kind of on the backside of the mountain. And this is, you've been in preparation for a long time, probably too long. Because you, you're, you're a crockpot. You sit on stuff and you wait. <laughs> But this is a time of your manifestation of not who Cheryl is, but who Christ is through Cheryl. And if Christ wants to reveal himself through a woman, I mean, aren't we called the bride of Christ? And there's not a person in this room who would be more conscious about no Cheryl, all Jesus. That she must decrease and he must increase. But this is the days of your manifestation. And not just your manifestation as a shepherd to the worship team. But a shepherd working with Sarah and I and, and Jeff and Lori working with the elders to shepherd this flock. And you have a teaching gift. That that teaching gift is going to be manifested. It's going to accelerate. And there's a leadership gift. That one of the things when I lay hands on you, I want to impart a leadership gift to you. For you to have that confidence and authority of Christ in you. As a seed of Abraham, as an heir. That you would shepherd and you would teach and you would lead as an heir of Abraham and as a joint heir with Christ. And there's going to be people who come against you. Matter of fact, there's certain people who were here last week that I don't see here today, probably because of what I'm teaching on. And you have to wrestle with that choice. I would encourage you to go a little farther and watch what the Lord does. You know them by their fruit. And just as John the Baptist, as his manifestation prepared the way of the Lord, made straight, crying out in the wilderness, made straight the path for the Lord. Cheryl, I believe you being ordained for this church family is preparing a ramp, another level ramp season and the way of the Lord to bring us to another level. In worship, in doctrine, in righteousness, in holiness, through your 
shepherding gift, through your teaching gift. And by the way, she's got jokes too. She's funny. You got to hang around her a little bit, but she's got some jokes. And your leadership. Your leadership. This church family needs your God-given leadership. Would you like to share anything? Thank you so much for welcoming me. And, and Pastor, as you were speaking, the words of what happened in Exodus when uh, Moses brought Joshua under the instruction of God and he said, bring him before all the congregation. The congregation was part of the anointing and consecration of that leadership. And according to the word the anointing that was given to Moses to lead that congregation, a portion of that was then transferred in authority and leadership. And that's what's happening here today in all the congregation, and you're part of it. I mean, it's my honor to be here and celebrate your ordination, Cheryl. And I honor the leadership of this church. And I do have just a few words, and I will not take long. But I honor you, Pastor John and Sarah, and you don't know me personally, but I've heard about you for a dec over a decade. She's been talking to me about you and church, and we pray together, and she calls me, and I got a dream, and can you pray with me, and how can I pray for you? And so I'm part of you because we're all one family. Amen. And so I believe that the leadership of Faith Center seeks to exemplify biblical ministry. A biblical model of team ministry, and that is why we are here today, to be biblical. And Paul utilized team ministry, the same man that wrote those words that we're just trying to dissect in that one word. One time he used that word. One time. And if we can't even agree on what it means, we're going to silence half of the people for one word that we don't really even know what it means. So the same man that wrote that, he wrote lots of, lots of other stuff about being ministers in the church. And we're all ministers in the church. But he said in 1 Thessalonians 2 and 1, For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live a life worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And in verse 7, a few verses away, what did he say? He said, but we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. And Paul was writing this letter about his work and his ministry to the people of the church, but he didn't say I. He said we. He was talking about his co-laborers and his ministerial colleagues, and he spoke of them again as Pastor referenced in Romans, he so often mentioned both male and female by name. And Paul made it clear that New Testament team ministry is fruitful when it is centered on Jesus Christ and founded on the teachings of Jesus Christ. And Jesus was full of what? He was full of grace and truth. And Jesus was love personified. He was God personified. If you want to know how you should be acting, what would Jesus do if he was me right now standing there 
And as ministers, we need to think about that when we speak words. But Paul and his co-workers received from the Spirit, and then they turned around and they poured that out with affection to the church of God. That's what ministry is. It's a ministry of reconciliation. He ministered, uh, he poured out affection for God's people, even as he labored and toiled among them. And music ministry is laboring and toiling. <laughs> I can just tell you that. But we have so much of our understanding of ecclesiology based on the writings of Paul. And we like to run right to Ephesians 4.11, for he's given these gifts. These are called gifts. It's the same word as a spiritual gift. Charis, that same word for grace and gift, is the same word. He's given apostles and prophets as a gift and teachers and pastors, your gifts to your church, praise God, for the equipping of the saints. That's us, right? And so Paul was talking about that ministry function, but what did he say just a few words before he started talking about those ministry gifts that he'd given to his church? He said, but there's one Lord, and there's one faith, and there's one baptism, and hey, there's one Abraham seed. I'll just throw it all in there. And there's one God who's the father of us all. And I believe with all my heart there is one mission of God. And that is the mission that he began when he breathed his spirit over the earth. And he's breathed his spirit into us. And we are called to carry on the ministry of Christ because we bear the spirit of Christ. This is incarnational ministry. He said manifestation. I'm saying incarnation. God in you, through you, reaching the world through you like a father, like a mother. You are called to serve the world that God loves, his people. And to reach everyone that you can with the good news. In Acts 17, 26, Paul again was writing that all people from one breath, all people are made from one breath. It doesn't matter what your skin looks like, what color you are. I was at the train station in um, Chicago yesterday, and there was this multi-ethnic wedding. And I just have so I, I'm going to be preaching on that. I, I can tell you that. But it was like a, a Hindu wedding with Muslims there and business people. And all these people, they had blocked off Union Station. You had to go upstairs to see. But they had, when the bride was coming and the people of every nation, one breath made all those people, and I had a picture of the marriage supper of the Lamb and the glory when he makes us all one. In Acts chapter 17, 26, in that same verse when Paul said that God made all the people from one breath to live on the face of the earth. He said God determined our times. He determined where we should live and that we should feel after him and find him and the good news is he's not far from any one of us and Cheryl I know that you've sought after God if anybody knows I know I don't have time to get into all of the the testimony of the things that she's gone through even in the last three years or so but I know that you have sought God and God has orchestrated your steps and he has brought you to this day in his will in his timing, 
and his purpose to serve this local church in this community. And he brought you here to serve his children because you're his children. And we're just here to serve you on his behalf. And as the worship pastor, you're going to usher people into the presence of God. And then what could be a better thing to teach other people to do? To exemplify that and then to disciple others to help lead people into the presence of God. And I believe that your words that you speak are spirit-empowered, and they will speak life, and they will speak light, that people will experience salvation because of your work, that people will experience healing and elevation and establishment because that's what happens. And Cheryl, anyone who knows you, as Pastor said, knows that you have carefully sought to find God's will. I do not know one person more intentional about following God. And you started out as a lone worshiper, even in our family. She came first. Like David on his harp, and your guitar that you've been wagging around since you were, what, five? <laughs> she entered the presence of the Lord. And David also was a shepherd. And he watched after flocks while he worshipped. But God elevated him to leadership and to be a shepherd of his people. And as he led, Pastor, I just want to tell you, he didn't just lead people into worship. He was innovative. He did new stuff. He said, oh, we're going to do this in a different way than we ever did it before. We're going to make new instruments. We're going to write new songs. And guess what? You know those curtains? Roll them up. Everybody come into the presence of the Lord. Don't be afraid to be innovative and do new things. Amen? But all along, what did he do? He sought after God's own heart. He sought after his will and his way. Read the Psalms. God is after our wholehearted devotion. And as we seek after him, he will show us the way that we should go. And Cheryl, that is how you're going to be a successful minister. When you follow after God's heart. And his heart is for his people. His heart is for this world. And God has called you to be a woman after God's own heart. And he will lead you in the way to go. And so I brought you a gift. It's a compass. And it says, be confidently. Go confidently in the direction of your dreams. Because I believe your dreams are his dreams. And live the life that you've imagined. Because I know that you've imagined in these dreams. It's his will. And it's his time. Cheryl, I just want you to stand behind this podium. I just, I just want to see it. Now, when a double portion anointing comes on her, she'll be playing and preaching. <laughs> it's the days of your manifestation. Don't be nervous. Stay right there. Stay right there. 
And just like you were the first in your family, God's going to use you to pave a way for more and more people. So, elders, come on up. Cheryl, if you'd sit right on the stage, if you don't mind sitting right there. People can come down and elders come around her. Actually, let's do this. Will you bring a, that chair right out here? And I'll let her sit in the chair. That way we can get behind her. Cheryl, come. Yeah, put it right in the middle, Bill. Yeah. I've got oil right here, guys. You can go ahead and take some. And church family, your part, your part, if, if you believe this is the Lord's will, if you don't, what I'm asking you to do is not quit, go a little further. But if you do, then you need to, by faith, be a part of this. Because you will be partaking from it. mighty name of Jesus Christ under our chief shepherd the Lord we anoint you and appoint you and ordain you and recognize the gift of God in you recognize the call of God in you recognize the, the glory of God upon your life and we agree as one that you have been called of the Lord set apart for this ministry, that you love the Lord and therefore you will feed His sheep. You will tend His sheep. And we see the shepherd gift that the Lord has given you. We see the leadership gift and we impart that leadership gift into you to greater and greater degrees. That worship anointing, that teaching gift, And in the name of Jesus Christ, we set you apart and ordain you for pastoral ministry and affirm the call of God upon your life that you are the seed of Abraham, an ambassador of Christ. And the worship pastor here at Faith and in the mighty name of Jesus, every gift in me that you want in her, I release and impart into her right now. And I stir up in her that spirit and gifting of leadership that she would be bold as a lion, wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove, and that she would have the courage to lead as she follows you. And I pray and celebrate all those that she awakens all those that she equips for their God-given purpose we set you apart and we bless you and call forth the days of your manifestation and incarnation in Jesus mighty name Amen
Thanks again for listening to the Faith Center podcast. To connect with us, go to faithcenter.tv and fill out our connection card. We pray blessings over you and your family. We'll see you next time.